Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast with Elena Krasdow, yours truly, and Jimmy Moak from Street Cred PR. In this podcast, Jimmy and I will welcome industry leaders, journalists, influencers, and friends of the firm to shed some light on who they are and the various twists and turns that led them to where they are today. We're grateful to have you listening in, and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Elena Krasnow. Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm the editorial manager and client brand evangelist at Street Cred PR and your host for today's show, along with co-host and managing partner, Jimmy Moak. We will break down the show into two segments, Press, where we dive into all the hard news about our guest's life and their professional goals, and then Play, where we have a little extra fun with it. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Lifefield's Executive Vice President and Chief Growth Officer, Jack Sherry. To give our listeners a little more background on Jack, Jack has been an influencer long before Instagram and TikTok. He is in daily contact with innovators, leaders, and disruptors who share his passion for combining human and digital advice so consumers achieve financial independence, advisors become more productive, and firms thrive. Jack is EVP and Chief Growth Officer at LifeYield, a technology company with comprehensive solutions that implement and coordinate tax-efficient investing and tax-smart retirement income planning, including optimizing Social Security benefits. His career includes senior leadership roles at Morgan Stanley, Putnam, Virtus. Uh, He contributes to numerous industry boards, publications, and organizations where he advocates for practices and technology that advances, wider access to financial advice through the convergence of wealth management and workplace benefits, better investor outcomes through comprehensive household-level financial planning and wealth management, and individual retirement security through tax-efficient decumulation planning, social security optimization, and annuities. Jack hosts the popular industry podcast, Wealth Tech on Deck, attracting over 15,000 listeners and 35,000 downloads. He writes for Financial Advisor Magazine and Investment News and is the author of the book, Authentic and Ethical Persuasion. Jack, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. What an intro. Jack Sherry, a friend and former client. So glad to have you on Press Play and to see your smiling face again. Yes, Jimmy, it's a, a real pleasure to be back with you, and Elena, very nice to meet you. You've got a great podcast voice, by the way, Elena. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Well, you had me out of breath with all that, all the bio that was in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't have to read half of that. That's uh, most, most of it's true. <laughs> it's all true, just, and it is our kidding. job, <laughs> absolutely, to gas you up and make sure our listeners know how incredible you are. Well, We're so grateful. Grateful to have you on with us. And you nailed something there, Jack. She does have a great voice for podcasting and undoubtedly carries the show. Yes. <laughs> it's a team effort all around, and we're so glad that you're here. Um, if you've listened to the show at all, Jack, you know that before we dive into your impressive career and all the questions we have for you, we have to ask you a really important question, which is, what did you have for lunch today? Now, normally I would say I had a salad, which is pretty boring, but today I really spiced it up. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I didn't have time to make it. So that's one of the great things about Zoom is, uh, or this this era we're in, is, uh, I, is I get to work from home, but also it, I have no time to even get lunch because I'm on one Zoom call after another. So it's a wild time. But uh, uh, PBJ was today's uh, treat. All right. I've got my first follow-up of the day. <laughs> crunchy or smooth, Jack? Mm. I prefer crunchy, but it was smooth. 
So it was a little disappointing, but. Uh, oh boy. We, we're getting Jack at in his worst moment right now. <laughs> I'm a crunchy girl myself. So I understand the dismay that comes with that. Yeah. It's harder to find. Cause I, I prefer not to have peanuts. I like almond and crunchy. Ooh, almond crunchy my. almond butter is elite. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's hard, hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. So it's great to be here. Uh, uh, at some point, Jimmy, we got to find some time to have some lunch together. It's been a while. Been too long. So, so Jack, are you outside of Boston proper now? Uh, I believe you yep. also have a you have a mountain home in Maine or Vermont. I can't recall. Vermont, Vermont. So I spent half the year. My wife and I spent half the year in Vermont, actually in summer months, and uh, half the year uh, here outside of Boston, western suburbs, and uh, it's pretty much half and half. And so, uh, uh, but I'm very fortunate. I just uh, I live in a couple of beautiful places and a couple of old antique houses and I'm a happy guy. That's Beautiful. awesome. Awesome. Uh, one of our colleagues, shout out, gonna say. Yeah, shout out Megan McNichol. She recently moved to Vermont with her boyfriend who is uh, working to achieve his master's at uh, the university. Cool. Cool. It's, uh, it's up the road from us about an hour North. So we're, uh, we're on the mad river. I'll talk a little bit about the mad river. It plays an important part of, in my, uh, my writing life. So Ooh. awesome. Let's get into it. All right. I'm ready. So Jack, can you just start us off by giving our listeners a little bit of the backstory on the incredible career you've had and what led you to where you are today? As we described, what brought you into this world and what passions continue to keep you here? That's great. Thank you. So I really tripped into this business by accident and I, I answered an ad in uh, the Boston Globe uh, many, many years ago. And it turned out it was an ad for an, becoming an annuity wholesaler. I didn't know anything about annuities. I didn't know anything about being, I'd never been inside a brokerage firm and I didn't know anything about selling. So I was a little bit wondering why they chose me, but they, they had a me- method to their madness. So I had been a tennis teaching pro uh, to that point. This was through my twenties. And uh, so I had the stand up skills of uh, taking something that was complex and hard to understand and making it simple enough to get people to do it and enjoy it. So that was my skill is I know how to, talk good uh, in front mm-hmm. of a, a group of folks. And that be, that led to my wholesaling career. And it was a great training company, about 100 people that I worked with over time, uh, wound up in senior ranks in our industry in the sales marketing side of things. So I learned well, skills aligned, all good. Um, uh, but importantly, this is a sort of a seminal moment in my life and career. I, since I didn't know anything about selling, I took a sales course in, in New York at the New York Hilton, as I recall. It's called The Competitive Edge. And as Jimmy knows, he's read my book, Authentic and Ethical Persuasion. Uh, the subtitle is, is Achieving What's Important in Life Through Committed Listening and Compelling Storytelling. So uh, it came out of that, it's directly from that course, which interesting, I, I, when, in 1987, when the stock market crashed and I was wholesaling in Binghamton, New York, Wow. Uh, the market the market had just crashed and uh, within the past you know few weeks and when I walked into the Binghamton office of Dean Witter now part of Morgan Stanley I, I swear all the advisors were having under their desk they were afraid to pick up the phone they didn't know what to say they didn't know what to do so I asked the the manager a guy named Bob Lee at the time uh, and I said I, I think I have something that might help them so I I, I turned what I'd learned in that course into a, a little seminar for the, the advisors. It was about listening, about finding out what people are concerned about, let them talk, 
not going to hurt you. They just need to talk to somebody. They need to know you care. Long story short, that turned into when I was at Dean Winter, I became national sales manager for insurance and annuities not, not long afterwards. And uh, we, I used to do it with every training class. This is back in the day when they would train 100 advisors each month. And I would teach them about listening. And the, the listening is a precursor to selling, in my view. We'll talk some more about that. So uh, uh, that's where it all began. It's a, it really, the book is about uh, uh, deep listening. And uh, I've been teaching it at Babson College, which is not far from where I live outside of Boston. I've been doing it over the past nine years. And I teach both undergrads and MBA students. And uh, they use it as, as a text, the book, uh, as text for their sales, marketing, and leadership courses. So starting with a competitive edge sales course, my passion then and to this day is about listening, uh, telling compelling stories. We'll talk some more about that, but uh, that's what I love to do. Well, I'm 100% with you. I think listening is one of the most important skills you can have in really any business sector. And it's amazing how much more you can gain from listening often than speaking. Um, being an expert listener is definitely a skill that I think marks some of the most successful people in the world. So I'm, I'm going to make a distinction. I fully agree. I'm going to make a distinction between listening, and, listening and hearing. Yes. So a lot of people figure you have to hear well. So uh, I have a colleague at, at Lifefield, Matt Nolman, who's our VP of Marketing, and he, he does the podcast with me. He's the engineer of it and so on. Uh, and he always marvels that when I interview someone, I can repeat what they told me, not quite verbatim, but I, I catch the high points. And he's, how do you remember all that? I said, because I listened. And so the kind of deep listening I'm talking about is not just hearing the words and then waiting for my turn to talk. It's in, which is, by the way, how most people sell. It's okay, hurry up and finish so we can talk about what's important, which is what I have to say. I'm rather yeah. the opposite, opposite. So when I'm speaking with someone, and I do this literally every day, we'll talk some more about this, but I talk to senior leaders in our industry every day. And uh, when we talk, uh, I listen 80, 90% of the time, same folks I have on the podcast. I listen well to what they have to say. I hear what they have to say. I'm listening for their concerns. What matters to them? What are they excited about? What are they concerned about? How might I advance their cause? So when we're having this conversation, uh, the, it's not hearing. I'm listening for what matters. So I'll go back to the kind of the thesis of the book. Uh, and it comes from a, a philosopher, believe it or not, a German philosopher by the name of Martin Heidegger. People are always already committed. The question is to what? What is it that they are committed to? What matters to them? That's what I'm listening for. And when I listen well and I hear it in a deep way and I can repeat it back to them, like I'm pinpointing what I hear them to be concerned about and try to solve. Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. There's a bond. It's, it's hard to describe, but that's what I'm totally. describing. Yeah. Yes. Really get it. Like, I get you. I hear you. Another uh, Heideggerism, if there's such a term, um, he said that uh, uh, we, we, as human beings, we come into existence when we're heard. Mm -hmm. So I just try to hear people. I try to hear what they have to say. I hear what, what matters to them, what their concerns are. And when I do, we become friends. We do business. Not always, yeah. but, but they find, generally find ways for us to, at the very least, stay colleagues. I'm so excited to hear you talking about all of this because I connect to what you're saying so much. I often tell people... It's about listening to understand, not listening to respond. And I think that's exactly what you're hitting on too. And you're so right. It helps foster such beautiful, genuine connections with people. 
And I would add this during our time working together a couple of years back, I really did learn from you and, and try to work on my own listening skills because I spent, I spent too much time quote unquote hearing Mm -hmm. And too much time waiting for my turn to talk. The first time I heard you say that sentence, which was probably about six years ago now, it it knocked me out of my shoes. And I and I couldn't believe how simple it was, but how right it was. And honestly, if I'm being honest with myself and the the two of you and Patrice and any of our listeners, I'm embarrassed to admit it. Well, you admit it, which is uh, there's some, some AA thing that probably goes in here. But anyway, point <laughs> point of it is that uh, 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 let, let me make a distinction because uh, there, there's a sort of a hierarchy. Uh, so at the baseline is the sales is, is sales. Next level is convincing. The, the top level, in my view, is is persuasion. So at the base level, uh, sales are, are what happens when you walk into a car dealership. Does anyone enjoy that experience? I, I hate it. I hate nope. every bit Not of it. Not particularly. I, I know I'm going to be had one way or another, and I just hate it. And I, I think I'm getting you know some kind of deal. I'm not. That's sales. Uh, and that's backslapping. That's at a boy. That's all that kind of stuff. Convincing is more fact-based, you know, where I'm going to use a lot of logic, data, proof points. But there's no human empathy. There's no human connection at the point of convincing. Convincing is just, and, and frankly, I've spent a lot of time in all of these. So I, I don't want to say like, I, I got it. It's only taken me 40 years to get here. In any mm-hmm. event, um, it, convincing is is proving it. And certainly when we started Lifefield, I was, we didn't have anything else. So I had to prove it because we didn't have any proof to really, we had some study and we had a couple other things, but I tried to use compelling facts, which aren't all that compelling without a human connection. And then persuasion is where you've listened well, you understand what the other side is trying to achieve and what you have to offer uh, helps them get where they're going. And that's really where I try to spend my time. Also, by the way, if, if, if I can't help them advance, if what I have is not what they need, I'll just move right. on. There's plenty of people to talk to. I don't need to sell it to every person in front of me. I, I, I really want to talk to the people that might need it. And if they, uh, there's plenty of those. So I'll go find those folks, find out what their issues are and see if we can solve, help to solve. Wow. You're really speaking my language. Jimmy, um, I'm in Ask Street Cred for Christmas this year to be sent to Babson College so I can go to Jack's class on marketing and leadership. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll take that under consideration. <laughs> I love it. Love it. All right. Well, I'm going to keep moving us along because we have so much that we want to discuss with you, Jack. Sure, you are sure. a very successful podcast host, columnist, and author, The Trifecta. What are some synergies you see between these different forms of media and how have they worked together to help you get your ideas out into the world and in front of key audiences? Well, this may come as a shock, but it's about listening. So here we go. <laughs> I love how much we're talking about listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's kind of where I live. It's where, where I spend my time. I find, by the way, as I'm talking to these executives uh, and we build up a rapport because they get to talk about their favorite subject, which is their, which is their strategy or themselves or doesn't matter to me. Whatever's important to them matters to me. Um, but I, I mostly, uh, truth be known, I mostly, when I'm having these conversations, say to myself, shut up. Shut up. Because I want to, I, I got a million ideas and I want to tell them how smart I am, how 
my brilliant ideas. So here, here we go. Um, speaking back to your original question, I got a little off topic there, but uh, <laughs> you get the idea. So um, when we worked with Jimmy and, and team at the time, we were a small startup uh, calling on big firms. Our, our client list is JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Merrill, New York Life, Meriprise. We, get, we have a giant big firm uh, list. And frankly, the FA mags and the investment news is, and you know, they, they don't want to talk. Why, why would we write a story about you? We, first of all, they didn't understand it. Second of all, you know, it's, it doesn't serve the advisor because we go through firms to get, you know, to serve advisors. So we struggled with that. We just couldn't get the kind of pickup we wanted. So um, uh, we said, well, what, wh- how could we get attention? So what we did is we, um, uh, became a content creator and publisher. Mm-hmm. And um, a friend in common, uh, Jimmy and I know well, Judd Mackerel, is a longtime friend. In fact, he introduced me to Jimmy in the first place. Um, Judd has a, a company that does podcasts. And uh, he said, he approached me and said, you ought to do a podcast. Because we were trying to figure out how to get our name out. We still wanted to get our story out. And, um, uh, and, and actually, one of my colleagues at Lifefield, Harry Bartle, said uh, when he heard the, our idea about doing a podcast, he goes, Jack, you can't do a podcast. You're not a millennial. So, anyway. <laughs> so uh, Judd persuaded us to, to uh, do the podcast. And uh, we've done 130. Actually, I just heard today. It's actually upwards of 140 episodes. Wow. Over the past uh, three, uh, almost three years. It'll be three years from March. Um, we uh, have, as you mentioned earlier, we've got 15,000 listeners, 35,000 downloads. Uh, and the key is it's a very targeted audience, which we thought originally when we started was about 500 people. Literally, that's how, we thought if we could reach 500 people, we're going to be killing it. Right. Now, obviously, all those 15,000 people are not our target audience per se. A lot of them are people that work for the boss because we talk to C-suite level folks. We talk to people that are building platforms. So they're senior people in senior roles. But the beauty is uh, all these senior folks want to hear what the other senior folks have to say. So mm. our key audience is probably still in that 500 range, which is fine by us. We, that's who we want to talk to. And the other folks get to listen too. Yeah. But it's interesting because you can't, the kind of stuff we talk about, it's mostly around strategy. We're, we're not a technology uh, podcast. We're, we're really talking about really what makes a difference uh, in your business. So whoever you are. So Ed Murphy at Empower and um, Jed Finn at Morgan Stanley uh, mm. He's now the president of, or whatever exact title of uh, Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. So it's senior level folks that we're talking to, and people want to hear what they have to say. So, and I ask the same questions every single time. What are you excited about? Where do you see the future going? You know, like that, just real, and they get to tell their story their way. So that that became, and it's all part of what we call a surround sound strategy, because it starts with a podcast, um, and then. What, what happens next is often the interesting, and it's weekly, so the interesting story for that month in a podcast, I often turn into a, a monthly column I do for uh, FA Mag. Evan Slimanoff's a good friend. and, um, uh, and But it, the other thing is, on all this stuff, it's it's not a commercial for life yet. That's the deal. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll print it. I just can't do a commercial, which is fair. you know, I, I don't need to because – it, it inures to our benefit, as the saying goes. So, um, so I often will write a monthly podcast uh, on whoever, uh, like I'm, I'm going to do one shortly on Bill Capuzzi from 
Apex. Apex. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, uh, who else are they doing recently? I've done them on Brian McDonald at Morgan Stanley. I've, I've done them on a bunch of folks uh, who I find interesting. Uh, Michael Leersh at Wells Fargo, uh, advisors. Yeah, so whoever it is that has an interesting story, I tell the story with all due respect to our journalists and friends better than they do because they don't understand it. I do. I understand the stuff. And I can speak English and I write decently. Also, by the way, I have to credit my colleague, Ian Condon, who he, uh, is a longtime friend and colleague in the uh, in the business, is a magnificent writer. So she makes everything I say sound really good. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm the content writer, provider and she really makes it makes it sing so uh we do the monthly column uh we've also worked it out i have a colleague paul samuelson his dad was the nobel laureate uh, wow. in economics. Uh, first i just learned in fact that was the podcast i just did a moment ago um and uh first nobel laureate in economics in the world um uh so uh paul writes on economic policy tax policy writes you know kind of how to for advisors on uh how to take advantage of tax law uh, and then we have another colleague, uh, Allison uh, Dorosky, who started as a secretary, has worked her way up, bootstrapped it, is, uh, became a social security expert. She has a designation, the whole nine yards. And she writes a monthly column um, in FA Mag. She also write, writes one for Retirement Weekly. Um, and uh, so each are, are, are monthly. Uh, so what we do is we, we kind of flood the airwaves with what we have to say. Of course, all of this is then promoted on social media. Right. So standing a couple times a week, you're going to see something from Lifefield, but it's not about Lifefield. It's just from Lifefield. It's about other people. We're always trying to advance the cause of the industry. In fact, I just got a nice note from Rich Anister from uh, InvestNet, who's been on the show, uh, thanking me for advocating for our industry. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to advocate for our industry. It always comes okay. back as benefit. Don't know how, just does. I do know how it does. Um, so, uh, and one other thing that I have some fun with uh, along the along the way is uh, our house in Vermont. I mentioned earlier, uh, spend the summers there, and one of my favorite pastimes is to sit in the Mad River, which in the summer is quite happy, sanguine. Um, I sit in a lawn chair and I just sit and let the water flow by. It's, it's not very deep; it barely reaches my lap, um, and just hang out. And uh, my wife, friends, just sit in the river. We call it river sitting. And um, especially on a hot day. So a couple of years ago, I was sitting in the river just by myself, reflecting on how fortunate I was. And it's in a beautiful area. It's in, in Warren, Vermont, about two-thirds of the way up Vermont. And uh, I just started thinking about just how fortunate I am. And so I started writing a, a blog, which is on LinkedIn. You can look it up. Uh, and we do it about two or three times a year. Um, where I, and a lot of what I write about is sort of the philosophy that uh, underpins the book about listening, about caring, and so on. There's one up uh, now that uh, uh, just went up a week or two ago that uh, uh, changed the world uh, one conversation at a time. Um, and I'll give you an example of this listening thing in action. So I'm also the president of a, a not-for-profit board called Hale Education. And uh, our largest donor, one of our, I should say, one of our larger donors, uh, uh, he and I had breakfast, and uh, he's he's kind of a curmudgeonly old guy, he's a wonderful man, but he loves to grumble, and he tells me he's too negative at the end of each conversation. Uh, <laughs> but he, had, he had a lot of complaints about what we were doing and we're doing and so on, 
And it long preceded my arrival, but uh, I get to hear about it. And so I had breakfast with him not long ago uh, where I let him just tell me how all the things he didn't like. And I listened and I listened and I listened. I didn't interrupt. I listened and I listened and I clarified occasionally. And, and, and he ended it with negative. I'm too negative. <laughs> my, wife, my wife says I'm too negative. I said, no, I, every, everything, you've, everything you've said is really important and I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I wanted him to know I listened. I heard him. Yeah. And then I, I took about, I think it was 30 seconds, maybe, maybe a minute. And I rat-tat-tatted all the things that he had told us in the past that we had done because he told us we should do them. And it was one thing after another. I said, and he looked up like, you did all that? I said, now, bear in mind, he had been told all those things before, but he's so busy being ticked off that he couldn't hear it. But mm. because he was listened to, and I repeated back what he said we weren't doing that we had done. He was like, huh? <laughs> he then said, you know, he's already contributed over $3 million to uh, our cause. We're in the middle of the campaign. He upped it by two and a half billion. Wow. Wow. That's I amazing. Didn't I didn't ask for it. So that, that's what I mean by listening. So anyway, that's Mad River Reflection. That's that's in this month's, or yeah, this recent. Uh, uh, we also then have, as part of the surround sound strategy, strategy sorry to keep going on here, but it, how it works. Um, we also do a, a monthly newsletter. Uh, I do one on the roundup, all the, all the stuff that we've uh, put in print. And then I have a colleague, Jeff uh, Quigley, who does one on Social Security. Uh, that goes out, uh, big open rates, lots of people interested targeted mailing list, all that kind of stuff. And of Love course, that. all of this is promoted on social media. Uh, and again, it's not never about how great life yield is, how great, whatever it's, it's how, how great our industry is, how we're advancing the cause. And we also still get an occasional earned media story. We're going to Barron's not long ago. We, we didn't seek it out, but they found us. Um, uh, so if bottom line is if you're part of our target audience, you're going to see what we have to say. It's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be follow you. And I, and I love, um, you know, you're, you're stealing one of the best practices from PR 101 and you're enhancing it with the, this isn't about us. This is about all of us. And then you're taking your content, whether it's yours or Jeff's or Paul's or Allison's, and then you're amplifying it in as many ways as you can. So it's not rocket science, but it's a smart approach. And I would just add this. Um, maybe you should spend more than uh, just a couple of times a year, because I think you only said three or four times a year, or do you do river sitting often in the Mad River? Because, <laughs> I, sometimes, because... I sometimes do it in front of the fire, Jimmy. So uh, okay. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Gotcha. I'm here for a river set. That sounds amazing. Yeah, My background yeah. is in environmental studies. So any excuse to get out into the gorgeous wide open, I'm there. Yeah, um, I think it's probably like more like four times a year. I, I forget. A lot of it's just that I, I want to be frankly moved to write something. That's when yeah. that, that blog is from the heart. It's not just it's not as commercial, if you will. So totally. Well, one final point on this. We have a, a client of ours, Anders Jones at Facet, and I was asking him, we were, we were talking about something related to his campaign, 
And he brought up the fact that every morning he tries to spend just 30 minutes with a cup of coffee staring out the window. And it's during those moments that he is able to process some work problems, life problems, or whatever it might be, because he was being present with himself and present in that moment, which I thought was a a pretty cool takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. So important to make time to just sit and listen, if you will, to what's happening internally and just, yeah, allow yourself to sit in that. I love that, Jimmy. You know, there's another piece to this. And, and as uh, fellow PR geeks and communications geeks, uh, you can appreciate this. And I'm sure your audience probably has a few more like that. Um, the other thing I do is, and back to my my favorite theme of listening. So I, I look at all the industry publications. And, and again, I, I hate to be disparaging, but they're really disappointing. There's just not enough in there that's I find useful. Um, I'm a little bit biased. Um, and so, but I pay close attention and then I have all these conversations with so many people who are again, listening and I just pick up on really interesting insights and issues and concerns. And then we orient what we communicate about based on what we heard. So so all the articles we write about are about, they're in response to something we've heard somewhere. So I'll give you, give you an example. So we're part, where we fit just to position what LifeField does. We, we do tax optimization. We're, we're part of platforms. So we're, we're deeply uh, embedded in the Morgan Stanley platform as an example. They're the fa- arguably the fastest growing firm uh, net new assets currently in terms of percentage growth. Uh, they're in the top four with uh, Vanguard, I'm sorry, with uh, Fidelity Schwab and Vanguard. In fact, they're number three ahead of Vanguard. So they're growing like a weed and we're in the middle of it. The problem is it's white labeled. So you don't see our name anywhere. But that's us. We're in the middle of their tax optimization, which helps them garner more assets, and it's working. And there's much more to come. They're just a super, super smart firm. So what what we're doing is we're you know, putting ourselves in, in the midst of, of that. And then we look around, and we're talking to others who want to be just like them. And we know more than, frankly, arguably the people at Morgan Stanley know because we, we built it. We understand it. Yeah. We understand what the challenges are. So a lot of the time, what, what we do is we spend time with other folks. We're working with a whole bunch of names you know. Uh, and again, they don't want it published, so we have to be a bit careful. This is also part of our problem in terms of getting our message out because we can't often can't say it, um, that we work with these firms to understand what their issues are. And as we understand what their issues are and, and have learned from our friends at Morgan Stanley and many others, um, uh, we then address that in our writing. So we're talking about the issues at hand, the current. We're, we're not making up those issues. In fact, we're um, we're helping to solve them or at least address them, if not yeah. solve them. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Jack. I'm going to keep going because I still have another Please. question I want to ask you. Sure. As it, yeah, as it reads in your bio, you've been an influencer since before the term was taken over by millennials and Gen Z via TikTok and Instagram. Tell us what this means to you and how you see the role of an influencer evolving in the world of financial media today and into the future. So first of all, I want to acknowledge my friend Ann Condon. She came up with that influencer Gen Z TikTok thing. I love it. Okay, I, never, That's what I mean. I, I am an influencer and we'll talk about that in a moment. But she just put such a spin on it with this Gen Z thing. I mean, it's not bad for a guy who's <clears throat> 70. Um, 
Anyway, so <laughs> throughout my uh, career, uh, my operating principle, as we've talked about, or at least I've given some indication, is to give first and more than required, just how I operated. Um, a lot of it had to do when I was first a wholesaler. I did not know what I was doing. So I just, that's the soliciting kind of started there, plus that course, which I took early on in my wholesaling career. Because I didn't know what I was talking about, I asked a lot of questions and people told me whatever it, I learned. And yeah. I found, then they liked me and I hadn't done anything. All I did was ask them what they thought. And I still have friends, believe it or not, from Binghamton and from Buffalo and all the places I used to call. In fact, there's a good buddy of mine, Fred Rickett up in Buffalo. We still talk. And uh, and anyway, the bottom line is you listen, they like you. That, that's what I learned. Uh, I also found that if I gave, I would get uh, and, and get more. So I used to do a, a ton of seminars. And uh, in fact, did one up in Buffalo on January 4th in a blizzard with 300 people in the room because they trusted me. You know, that's a lot of what ends up happening. That's where I'm going with all this. So, so I've been in, uh, involved in active in industry associations like the MMI, Next Chapter. Um, I'm, I've always tried to be more of a giver than a taker. And, and uh, basically, I, I benefit greatly from it. I, I don't have to try. It just happens. And um, uh, the same is true when talking to the industry leaders and so on. We've covered, we've covered all that. But the bottom line is this, that uh, is, uh, and I, I do this all the time, keep giving. Uh, and, and when you do, they, they, they pay attention. Now, here's the other thing that happens when you, when you listen well, and you then when you do open your mouth, and I try to be limited as when I open mouth, when I do speak, I speak with great authority and great pinpointed clarity. So what I'm talking about is a bullseye of what their issue is. And they're like, yeah, that's it. So um, the influencer is a, is a, a 40 years of trust, earned trust. Mm. And, and, and I've never, if there's anything that you, any misconception, if anything is misconstrued, I fix it immediately. Mm. So I, that, that is, that, that's my badge of honor. Uh, and just the people have gotten to know. So at MMI, I was one of the original board members of that. I'm active with my friend Steve Gresham on the next chapter, which is all around retirement, education. We have an innovation summit coming up uh, later in January where I'm going to have a bunch of innovators. Oh, they've been on my podcast. Oh, we're going to talk about the dynamics of innovation. So I'm going to have uh, Michael Leersch from Wells Fargo Advisors, LifeSync, this fabulous new tool that he and his team developed. Again, it, 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 the only write-up I saw of any consequence was the one I did in FA Mag describing what it was. It just it, no one wrote it, wrote it up because they didn't understand it. And then uh, the other person that I, I have coming up that I'll be doing an interview with, uh, it's all going to be virtual, and I think it's going to be free. Uh, but I think it is going to be free. Is Reed Colley? I don't know if you know Reed. He is uh, he's the uh, CEO of Summit Wealth Systems. Uh, he was the one that founded Black Diamond back in 2003. Later sold it in 2011 to Advent SSNC. Mm -hmm. um, brilliant, brilliant guy. Took a break for a while. A couple of years ago, he started up Summit. They're a client of ours, of course. Uh, that tends to go hand in hand a little bit. Uh, not always, but uh, often does. And uh, and and we did a podcast. I'm like, this guy's he's got to be heard. He's he's brilliant. And I mentioned to him, I said, would you be up for talking about the the dynamics of innovation? He said, absolutely. I'd love that. So 
that's how it works. I, I, I know that based on my podcast conversation, he loves innovation. He loves to break China. He loves mm-hmm. to advance industry. So I, all I need to do is give him a forum. And because of the way we've evolved over time, we have, we have a platform. We are a content publisher, content creator. Right. And we're always looking for new ones. Like Bill Capuzzi, I, I really had the first conversation with him a month ago. Like that, you know, that, that's I'm always yeah. on the lookout for the next cool story. And and because of the audience that we've been able to accumulate over time, people want to hear who else you yeah. got, what else is coming. Totally. Aaron Shum is another one from Vestwell. I mean, Aaron doesn't need, to be, need me to be his press agent. Vestwell is just a brilliant company. He's a brilliant CEO. He's another one we've had on the podcast, I don't know, three times, I think. Uh, he's always innovating. So it's fun to talk to him about what he's working on lately. So that's what we try to do. That's how I get to be an influencer because I, I get to talk to the cool kids. I, I'm at the adult team. <laughs> I love it. So I'm just keeping notes for myself as I continue <laughs> on my own journey as sure. a as a podcaster. Number one, listening, active listening. Yep. Yep. With that will come trust. Yep. And then the next step after that is uh, 15,000 listeners <laughs> and 35,000 downloads. Yeah, is that, like is that, that all it takes? Straight straight shot. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I just really appreciate everything that you've said about prioritizing being more of a giver than a taker. That's something I've been reflecting on a lot as I'm going into this next year and sort of what are the relationships and the connections that are really providing that reciprocity in my life? Because I consider myself to be built that same way too, Jack, where I definitely tend more to give than to take. And I think it served me very well, but it's an important thing to be cognizant of. And I just love your description of the notion of an influencer as being funded by being an expert listener. Like that's the way that you get to be influential is by listening. I think that's beautiful. And and at the risk of sounding arrogant, I I just know more than just about anybody in the industry. (laughs) I talk talk to all the, the cool kids. They tell me. So I just yeah. know because I've talked to them all, not all, but we're working on it. But I, I'm, I'm talking to the best and brightest of our industry. And all I'm doing is because I've listened, I'm parroting back what I heard. And, and also, frankly, uh, bringing it together. In other words, yeah. synthesizing it. Um, so, the, the, and Jimmy, that's another important part is if you keep listening and you keep synthesizing. And the other thing, this is another, another thing I learned in wholesaling especially when I was first a wholesaler, I was in my early thirties and I, you know, I didn't know anything literally, um, or I knew a tiny bit, not much, um, that no one wanted to hear from a 31 year old wholesaler how to do anything. So I would always, uh, pick up the story of someone I used to tell the Ted Millett and Dave Qualey story, Milburn, New Jersey, and what they did, blah, 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 Bob Ace up in Rock, Rochester, New York. I would talk about what they did. Now, funny story with, Millet and Qualey, uh, two uh, older gentlemen than I at that time. At that point, uh, Qualey was like the number two advisor in the in the region, and Ted was a former ranch manager and just a real gentleman and also a very big producer. And they had a particular way of selling the product I I offered. And so when I had been on my visit with them at one point, I sort of interviewed them. I found out what they did and how, what they said and what they how they discussed. I was in I was an annuity wholesale at the time. Uh, what they said to clients, took notes. And that became my branch meeting as I went around the rest of the region. So I found myself, I think we had 46 offices at the time. 
So I've made the rounds. I'm up all through Connecticut and Mass and Vermont and you name it, New York, upstate New York, Long Island and Northern Jersey. I get back Manhattan. I get back to Millburn, New Jersey. I've made the rounds. It's six weeks. It was a six-week uh, turn. And I'm standing in front of Millette and Quayle in the front row with their yellow pads, ready to take notes. Um, and I so Ted and and, uh, and Dave, uh, my apologies, but I'm going to tell your story. I said it's it's evolved a little bit because what had happened was at each telling, I picked up other good ideas that became part of their story. So by the time I was back in front of them, I'm telling their story in an an enhanced way. And they're scribbling notes like, this is great. I said, <laughs> you get the idea. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's synthesizing what you hear. It's synthesizing what's being shared. Uh, and and it, 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 that's compelling. That's that's interesting. That's that's real. That's that's uh, honest. And and so all my stories are other people's stories. I, I have a when I, if I have a skill. It's that I, I listen well and I know how to synthesize what I hear. Love it. Stole your line, Elena. Sorry about that. <laughs> what do I say? Love it a lot, Jimmy. <laughs> I, I think you do. Don't you? I definitely do. <laughs> Um, all right, let's get to our second segment. Let's get into some play, a little rapid fire style. Oh my gosh, Jack, I've loved all of your responses so far. But first question, if it weren't financial services, what would you be doing? I would be an interior designer, an antiques and art dealer. As the daughter of two artists, I really appreciate this answer. And what do you do? Oh, go ahead. By the way, it's very hard to say out loud because I got to be the oldest straightest white male that ever admitted he would be into interior design (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a fine art and i appreciate it for any gender and any sexual orientation (laughs) when Um, when did when did you give up on that dream or was it always just in the back of your head hey this is what i'll do if nothing in financial services works out (laughs) jimmy in, in my 20s i had no clue what i wanted to be when i grew up i i was just hoping to make make a living so it, it, this is only this happened after I made a couple of bucks. So gotcha. Love it. And besides sitting in the mad river, what do you do for fun? So as uh, has been indicated, I love to give back. I mentioned Hill Education. So uh, it's a 1200 acre piece of land, 10 miles from Boston. We have about 10,000 kids and families that come through Hill's camps and programs uh, each year. Um, so uh, uh, that's, I, I, I'm not very good at relaxing. So um, what I do for fun is I work some more, but this time it's volunteer. So it doesn't feel like work. Actually, I don't feel like I work that much anyway. I just, I spend a lot of time doing what I do. Yeah. Uh, love spending time with my my family, especially I have two of the sweetest grandchildren in the universe, Eleanor, Cute. who's age, age uh, soon to be nine, and uh, Gus, who's six. And uh, they're a ton of fun. Um, as I mentioned, my wife and I spent half the year in Vermont. She's, we're both very active in the community up there. I actually, believe it or not, used to be on the Mad River Valley Chamber of Commerce. I was an officer. We're still not sure why I was on that because <laughs> I don't, don't have a business there, but I, I'm a sucker for trying to help community or whatever. Um, and my wife's the uh, president of the Mad River Valley Arts, and I'm on the advisory council. Uh, we promote local artists and, uh, she, she she leads the way. I'm, I'm just in the background. Uh, hosts shows, uh, provides educational programs for kids and 
families and around the arts. And so uh, I love all that. And we travel a bit. I, um, we have a good friend that lives in, uh, not as much as we once did, and we will start again. Uh, but we have a good friend that lives lives in Mexico, a uh, longtime friend. My uh, my four sons refer to her as Auntie Betts. Um, we'd love to go. To, we've been in Mexico many times and uh, seen places you wouldn't see otherwise just because she's so uh, in the weeds of what goes on there. So uh, she's a tour guide, has a tour business, but uh, we love to travel. So um, that's some of the stuff we do. Beautiful. So, Jack, last night as uh, Elena and I were prepping for the show, I was giving her a, a little bit of inside baseball, if you will, in terms of our past working relationship. And from reading your book and from entering your home via Zoom, even during pre-COVID, even pre-COVID and um, like I would see shadows of Jean walking ar- around <laughs> your house, right? So I never, I never met her, but I felt as if I, I knew her from from your beautiful <laughs> dedication to her in your book. You have mentioned her countless times during our campaign calls. So I was telling Elena, I'm like, while I've never met her, I feel like she's the neighbor on um, what's the show? Oh, I'm already forgetting it. Uh, with Tim, the tool man, Taylor, you know, right, uh, right, uh right. you know, which one I'm talking about. Right. I do. I do. I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, home improvement is the name of the yes, show. That's right. So yeah. he, he would always go talk to his neighbor who had, and this is, this is the connection point. Cause like I, when I think of Jack, I think of sage advice. Um, and, and those two words then lead me to just listen, but yeah. um yeah. Yeah. yeah tim's tim's neighbor you never get to really see because he's behind the fence but you can tell right, how right, important right. he was to <laughs> his yes. life so you that's a for- right? yes yes that's so, right. uh and look i'm not a huge uh tim allen fan and i never even really liked the show but for some reason i connect that to to you yeah well so funny. interesting or asinine you could take a pick i, I might be <laughs> I, I might I choose totally to take out it there. as a compliment I, I, we I approve. It. It's yeah. meant only as a compliment. Good. That's well, great. For our final closing question, Jack, we like to leave with a moment of gratitude and give you the opportunity to shout out someone in the industry you admire or someone in your life, just to say something nice about someone who may or may not be listening today. Well, that's an easy one. My wife, Jean, and I just celebrated our 40th anniversary. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. And that was just this past weekend. She really is the brains of the outfit and uh, my partner always business, family, life. And uh, I'm most grateful. You know, we wouldn't be where we are. I wouldn't be able to do what I do. This may come as a surprise, but it's just for those of you that may have started like I did. I had zero confidence in my 20s. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I'm just I was floundering trying to figure out. I knew I wanted to be successful, but I didn't know what it would look like. And, uh, and she kind of picked me up by my bootstraps, literally, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and believed in me at a time when I didn't uh, believe. And so uh, I'm eternally grateful. And uh, and that was 40 years ago, so, uh, wow. or just just before 40 years ago. And uh, uh, actually, it's it's a story worth telling. So uh, in my 20s, I tried a few entrepreneurial activity. I was a tennis pro, indoor outdoor tennis pro. Um, and I 
figured that was a dead end and uh, teaching pro. And uh, then I did an entrepreneurial thing. I, I thought I was selling uh, out of the back of my trunk of my car, selling energy conservation hardware, which is ridiculous, but that's what I did. <laughs> and then I w- wound up working for a heating and air conditioning contractor as a, some kind of sales manager, which was another ridiculous thing. And so I was basically at the age of 29, broke, living on a credit card. I was in the midst, of, I had been married once before, and I was in the midst of a divorce. My mother had died, and and my wife, Gina, and I had just gotten together. And I was quite sure she was going to say, see ya, uh, after I lost my job. <laughs> By the way, I, the car I, I kept was the company car, which went away. So here I was, broke, uh, carless careerless, no future, didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, uh, and so I, I came home a broken man after getting fired. Uh, and Jean, uh, after telling her what happened and for really kind of being a mess, um, she said, well, uh, if, if this is, it, what was it she said? She goes, uh, that I believe in you and that mm-hmm. uh, uh, it doesn't feel like it right now, but we're going to get through this. And if that means you think we're going to be somehow eating off the floor. We're not going to be eating off the floor. I'm with you every step of the way. And it was like the lights went on, the sun shone and all that stuff. And uh, kind of believed in me at a time where I just didn't think anyone believed in me. And uh, so that's why I'm grateful. Wow. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Well, shout out to Jean. Shout out to you, Jack. Thank you so much for being on the show. To our listeners, we hope that you learned something new and enjoyed hearing about Jack's incredible story. Thank you so much to everyone who listened in today. Be sure to write us via email at pressplay at streetcredpr.com to tell us what you think, ask us any questions, suggest any guests, or even just to tell us what you had for lunch today. Thanks again for tuning in, and we can't wait to introduce you to our next guest. Thank you for listening to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. Visit our website at streetcredpr.com and find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. And if you enjoyed the episode, we'd love nothing more than if you would rate and review the show. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Streetcred PR. The content has been made available for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. If you have questions about the show or Street Cred PR, feel free to reach out to us. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>